Welcome to Project Update, a podcast about the project we're working on and the tools we're using. I'm Joe Simpson. And I'm Dave Ramsey. How's it going, Dave? Uh, great, Joe. How you doing? Pretty good. It's been a couple of weeks. What's been going on? Um, less than I would like. Yeah? Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm kind of functioning at what I think of as my ground state. Mm. Like a, like a down wire? <laughs> grounded wire. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Uh, let's see if we can't answer that. <laughs> uh, in my ground state, I'm answering support emails. I'm doing meetings with you to keep you moving on whatever we're currently working on. Um, I successfully reset up my new MacBook Air because the first time sucked. I can't remember if we talked about the new MacBook Air on the show or not. Yeah. Yeah. You got Dave got one of the new M1 MacBooks, yeah. MacBooks Air. Yeah. I actually find that I have a difficult time saying or writing MacBook Air. Yeah. Pro goes after book. Right. Because since they changed the name to MacBook, I've never owned something that wasn't a pro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For whatever reason, when I set the thing up the first time, it wouldn't. Um, it wasn't doing all the iCloudy stuff right, which meant mm. it didn't have all of my passwords and my calendar events weren't showing up and mm. like the note, but the notes were syncing. My mm. notes were syncing between devices. And so that was the only way I had to move text information <laughs> from machine to machine was making a note and then going to the other machine. And I was reading about like, oh, here's a 13-step checklist to follow to see how to try and fix this problem. And I'm like, I haven't done enough with this machine yet. And I wiped it down to the bedrock, clean OS install. And now it's happy. So maybe I can actually start using it for something other than periodically browsing a website and doing a Zoom call once every couple of weeks. So... That was a version of productive, <clears throat> but aside from that, not a whole heck of a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with my anxiety. It's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, back in the day, it was primarily just a social thing. I had... Mm -hmm fairly specific social anxiety. So in large crowds, if I didn't have a specific role, I was generally pretty quiet, which some of you who may only know me in from places where I have a specific role, that may sound bizarre, but mm -hmm. it's true. Um, yeah, in my experience, if, if you're someplace with Dave and Dave is just expected to participate, you're not getting a lot out of him. But if you ask him a question or need his help with something, then like he's your guy. Yeah. Like that's how I met him at, at our local FileMaker developer groups. And he's always the first person to help people with new weird problems or understand complex design patterns and stuff like that. But like Dave's not going to sign up to teach a course on this stuff. Like you've got to draw stuff out of him. Yeah, but if somebody asks me to teach a course for it, I'm probably game. Hmm. Yeah. So more recently, this has shifted to 
just this fascinating soup of junk. Um, I'm not really sure how one can have all of the following. Quarantine anxiety, vaccine anxiety, and post-quarantine anxiety simultaneously. Is that a challenge? <laughs> no, no. Like, like, I do have all of it. So I know it does happen. I just don't fully understand. Like, it doesn't seem fair that you should be anxious about all three. Yeah. If I'm anxious about the quarantine, I should be excited about the end of quarantine. And back when all I had was quarantine, I actually was kind of excited about the end of quarantine. Mm -hmm. But now that vaccines are coming out and I got my first shot and post-quarantine is potentially coming up, now I can be anxious about that, but I still got quarantine anxiety. <laughs> like, just even looking at the vaccine itself, like first it was scheduling my vaccine because the demand was going through the roof, then getting, and I got it, and then there was reaction, and you're spending that whole time wondering if the reaction is going to get worse or not. And then there's, but now I've got to get it again. I had a moderate normal reaction the first time, which seems to indicate that my reaction will be worse after the second shot. I'm so, so grateful to the friend who mentioned that to me. I, it makes me very happy. Um, I mean, I've seen people online who experience a sense of relief or calm after the first shot, like progress is being made. I got nothing. <laughs> no dip whatsoever. Um, once I was conscious for any contiguous period, because one of the biggest pieces to my reaction was just a few days of exhaustion. Mm. Yeah, and then like, while all of that... There's the beginning of post-quarantine stuff, which I thought I was just going to kind of, you know, slowly reintegrate myself with society at a level that I was comfortable with. Mm -hmm. But my parents are trying to schedule a family vacation for late June. I've skipped all the family events for the last year. It's starting to feel like I'm running out of excuses. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're also trying to do Florida which seems like on the list of places not to go. Yeah. Florida seems pretty high on that list. Yeah, no thanks. And then there's the professional stuff. I've got one released product, one beta product, and one in development product. And I need to spend some time on all of them. And somehow I'm not spending time on any of them. Hmm. Well, I'm spending little bits of time here and there, mostly, as I said, in support and meetings with you and stuff like things are, things are, I'm keeping the plates spinning, but I'm not solving any of the plates. Yeah. Um, really, really not thrilled about this. Yeah. For, for quite a while, like at the beginning of the quarantine, I was fine. It was like all the social anxiety was gone because I just didn't have to deal with people. It, it wasn't an option. Um, and we got a ton of stuff done in the first six months of that. Mm-hmm. And now you're chugging right along. And I'm like, I'm just going to go sit over here for a while. Yeah. I mean, I can't really speak to the quarantine anxiety or vaccine anxiety that much. But uh, in terms of the work stuff, I mean, I don't know what answers are available, but 
I think the most straightforward thing that you could do is just to scale back expectations. Like rather than try to work on all three projects and move them all three at the same time, just focus on support for FM perception. And it, sometimes it's just helpful to reframe stuff. The other two projects, FM comparison and FM perception next, rather than thinking about those as things you should be working on, think about them as things you can be working on when you have time and capacity to do so. And that's generally how I approach at least my side project. I know that these aren't really quite the same thing as a side project, but they're they're not the bread and butter of the business right now. So I would kind of treat them as such of like, when there is extra Dave mental capacity to be applied to something interesting, then I've got these problems that I can pull forward and start working on. But don't keep them as like a goalpost. Because we get into that kind of thing that I was mentioning a couple months ago when I did kind of a hard reboot of my routines and schedules. I was like, mm -hmm. I'm just constantly expecting too much of myself and beating myself up for not being able to live up to unrealistic expectations. And it sounds like to some degree, you might be doing something similar. Hmm. So I would just scale back. Like Dave is expected to run FM perception, the business. That's your job. Yeah. FM comparison is not yet your job. It, it can be FM perception next will probably be your job in a while, but it's not right now. So I would just kind of rephrase it that way. I know that's just like, those are just words, but mm -hmm. that stuff really helps me kind of reframe how I'm approaching work. It, it sounds very reasonable mm -hmm. and my brain is not, it's reacting to that concept with intrigue, not revulsion. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll spend an hour today just rewriting the pathways in my brain. Yeah. That might work. The other thing I was considering was some kind of co-work. Mm. Um, I, I, I've had luck with that at various times, generally much further in the past. Um, where it's kind of the same as, as when I used to work out with a trainer. Like there's an appointment, there's a schedule. It doesn't matter if you're in the mood, you're spending the money either way. So you mm -hmm. might as well go ahead and work out. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, just a sit down and work now, because if you're not working now, you will be missed by the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I'm just not capable of saying it to myself and making it stick. Like I can say it all day, but. Yeah. I think a big part of that is your, your totally weird schedule. Like yeah, Dave can work a nine to five job, but he can also work a five to nine job. <laughs> yeah. Like two in the morning. Yeah. Like most of the time when I see release notes for a new version of something, they're coming at like two or three in the morning. Yeah. It's well, because very often my best productivity is at night. Maybe mm -hmm. I need to reach out to some of my uh, UK people or something. See if anybody in Australia wants to co-work. Just find some developers, some vampire developers to work with. Yeah. It, it, and I'm not even talking about like, there's not substantive interaction during that time. Like when, mm -hmm. when I would do it in a coffee house, the extent of it was... Hey, I'm going to grab a drink. You want anything? 
Yeah. So it's something just, you might use for okay. something like this is when we looked at Mozilla Hubs a couple of weeks back, this is the kind of thing that's perfect for that, where people can just, it's a persistent place that people can drop in and out of, but you can also show people stuff like, hey, I'm working on this thing, take a look at it, you know, just drop an image in or a link, things like that. It's just a really good platform for that kind of like ambient environment of like hanging out with people where there is no like, there is no host of the meeting in Zoom terms or anything like that. It's just a place that's always there. Yeah. I was also thinking maybe like a, a Discord video chat. Mm -hmm. Throw some coffee house noise on a separate channel so each party can set the volume of the coffee house at whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I'm not talking like a day, like a nice short time slot, say like three hours. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just a thing that I, well, I mean, it, it ends up being a thing that I schedule. But if I schedule something a day in advance, I can generally be conscious then. Because mm -hmm. it's a scheduled thing. That's what it is. But being able to look at the screen and see another person's head down working weirdly refocuses me. Like, yeah. I want to be doing the same thing, and so I do the same thing. I don't know. Um, I'm going to start with your idea. Um, there is some stuff that I need to do on FM Perception, and I know what it is. Like I need to sit down and jot up a list real quick, but mm -hmm. I, I know what I need to do there and knock that out. Cause yeah, FM, some of the stuff I have to do on FM comparison and FM perception next is there's just a big swirl of junk in my head. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's like FM perception is a project with known boundaries mm -hmm. and FM comparison, we've got you know, the core features figured out, but its boundaries are much larger. And FM perception next knows no bounds. <laughs> it cannot be contained yes. at this stage. It's too big of a thing. Yeah. So that's me. Uh, I've been tracking your blog posts and stuff. You've been very productive the last few weeks. What have you been working on? Um, yeah, we'll go into my Babylon JS stuff in a bit. Before that, I'm going to talk a little bit about FM perception next about Thanks. the uncontainable <laughs> mess that I'm trying to contain right now. Um, there are three different, uh, can you burn a candle from three directions? <laughs> because I think that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it'd be a funny looking candle, but I don't think there's any technical reason you couldn't be like the like Kylo Ren's lightsaber or something or it's a five dimensional candle. Yeah, it's a it's a hyper candle. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now we have our uh, <laughs> we, we now have our show title. <laughs> so the uh, the core features that I'm working on right now are the list views which are you know when you navigate to a top level thing, a filemaker type of thing, a table or a field or a script or a layout. And those list views are all built by grids with lots of columns. And the reason I'm tackling, mostly tackling these first is because those grid definitions are gonna be used very often in detail views, but not necessarily for the detail view of that specific category. So a good example would be working out the grid definitions for table fields 
for the fields list view, but I also need that same grid definition on tables when we're showing a list of related fields. So things like yeah. that. So list views is probably the easiest feature um, or maybe just most figured out feature. I've got the most, most of the work done. So like, I figured out most of the workflow of how to tackle those. Mm -hmm. And right now it's just a matter of implementation. And every time I add a new one, I uncover a couple more things mm -hmm. I need to add <laughs> to the system. But <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it, it's not too bad at this point. The detail views are quantifiable. Dave and I had a very long meeting a couple weeks ago um, just going through looking at all the different detail views we need and deciding what needs to be there in terms of subqueries and then kind of turning those subqueries into two or three different kinds of interface elements and then you know describing interaction between those and its parent object. So that is the basically I'm I work on this view. I use it again on a detail view. I try to knock out as much of a detail view as, as possible until I realize, hey, there's no grid definitions for this component. So I need to go work on that list view. So it's kind of bouncing back and forth between those mm -hmm. two things. And then the other, you can't really call this feature. It should be another project, <laughs> but everything else, the <laughs> navigation system, um, we're basically implementing our own version of found sets on the detail view. So when you are on a list view and you click on a, a button to go to that record, we want to be able to capture the content of that grid on the list view and have a version of that available to page forward and backwards into the detail view. And there's a bunch of complexity there. And it really makes me appreciate how, how much FileMaker gives us with features like that, like oh, we just completely yeah. take for granted that that's a thing that everybody should be able to do. And it's just, it's not easy. There's so many edge cases that we've already bumped into about how to maintain those sets and how do we communicate that back to the other area. And yeah, it's, there's a lot going on there, but also that navigation stuff and how it um, affects our history mode of like the history of where we have been from a navigation standpoint and possibly in the future, a history of what records we have been to and then how do we get back to, not only how do we go back to the layout we were just at, but how do we restore the records we were looking at when we were there and which record specifically was selected when we were there, things like that. So, and then how those things interface with, um, you know, various record statuses like selection or lots of other kind of features like that. So yeah. There's a, I kind of ran out of the ability to code last week. And this, these problems are so big that I, I basically just ended up with a stack of index cards on my kitchen table and a bunch of magnets on the fridge with cards all over the place. And just like reasoning through these problems on paper, which is pretty rare for me to turn to paper. Um, like it, it's rare enough that I actually had to get the index cards out of a box that was in another box that was in another box in my office closet. <laughs> they were really buried. <laughs> so yeah, I spent probably, I mean, it, I look like a total weirdo. I'm sure it's a good thing I'm working from home, but because I'm just like staring off into space and like 
shaking index cards and solving problems. And every couple of minutes, I write something down and put <laughs> a card down and sigh. You you didn't go full serial killer wall with the the strings connecting the no. cards. Okay. No, only but you're I didn't fine. Have any cards? Or didn't have any string. So yeah, that's that's my FM perception update. There's a lot going on there. Um, good news for you is aside from you know, kind of rubber duck conversations to help me tease things out. There's not anything that I need from you for this project. Like there are features that you need to make at some point, but there's so many things for me to work on that you could not touch it for quite a while and I wouldn't notice. Um, although maybe I do, I should rephrase that. There is a, a quality of life list that I would love to have you go through at some point. Okay. But that's more like um, here's a here's a list of ten or fifteen small changes to make to the SQL backend to make Joe's life better. Yeah, yeah. let me know when you're capable of doing that, and we'll talk about that list. Okay. So Babylon JS, lot yeah. going on. Um, we talked about it the last couple of episodes. This kind of month of Babylon JS that I've been doing, and just a quick recap: it was the premise was. I need to spend some time learning, but more time making stuff. And I had kind of drawn up a plan of I'm going to do an hour every day after work, Monday through Thursday, learning stuff, working through tutorials, reading documentation, and then taking each Friday off each week to do a small project. And I did that the first two weeks with the Breathe demo and the Terrarium demo. And then the, the last two weeks, I've shifted focus more towards the WebXR features or the VR features that you know I'm kind of getting into this to do in the first place. So I guess week three, um, I decided to make basically some 3D UI cards. And the system that I made, think of it kind of like a master detail view, but in three dimensions, like in a room scale master detail view, um, where the smaller individual cards can be thought of as like the list view records that you would see in the, on the, uh, the left. And then there's a, a single large card that would have the content for the selected record. Mm -hmm. So I spent the week just learning about the GUI stuff that Babylon.js has to offer. Um, I'm not using their 3D GUI system. I'm using their 2D system that's rendered on textures through their advanced dynamic texture thing. The same thing that you had worked with a couple weeks ago in your demo. Um, and it's some pretty cool stuff. The thing that's nice about that system is that it all works really well with a system of pointer events that Babylon.js implements um, like on a regular computer with a mouse and keyboard, on a touch screen with VR controllers and even with hand tracking on the Quest or the HoloLens. So it's like one, you, you can put one button in space and all of those things can interact with that button. It's, it's pretty cool. So that demo, honestly, the, the cleverest part of that demo was I am working on UI stuff and I don't wanna deal with any data. So I needed some kind of data to show. So I decided to just grab the data for the blog series for the, the a month of Babylon.js. <laughs> uh -huh. um, so all I did was go to the RSS feed for my blog, add a couple query parameters to the URL, copy the entire XML blob 
to the clipboard, paste it into this little online site to convert the RSS XML to JSON, and then save that as a JSON file and load it in the project. Like, voila, I'm done. <laughs> um, so yeah, I didn't want to spend any time doing any kind of API. Like that, that stuff is fun, but it's not, it wouldn't have been a good use of my time during that, that week. So what I ended up with was a pretty simple demo where I could look through the data and create a card for each one. Um, I actually found it easier. Like I wanted to do a 3D grid essentially where you print out five cards and then go to an next row and print out five more cards and then go down to the next row and print out five more cards. And it was easier to actually chunk the array into an array of arrays than it was to do multiple loops in trying to keep track of the iterators separately, just because of the way that JavaScript is finicky like that. So I just have a, a chunking function that says, you pass it an array, you pass it a, how many items should be in each chunk, and it gives you back an array of arrays with that quantity of items in each one. Okay. Um, really lazy, but I really like it. If it's, um, if it's easy to use and easy to understand mm -hmm. and does what you want it to do, that's good code. Yeah, yeah. It's probably way more understandable than having a loop of loops in your core function. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So no, I, I disagree with your characterization. So yeah, the, the scene loads, it loads a number of GUI cards and then each one of them has an image, a title, a description area for like an excerpt from the blog post, and then a button. And you can click the button with any of the pointer events. And then towards the end of the day on Friday, after setting up the scene, I also added some interaction. So when you click the button, it loads the content on the detail card. And the detail card is really basic. It's just a a giant white card with some black text on it. And the text is actually HTML, but the GUI system doesn't understand HTML. So it's just a bunch of garbled text, but it gets the idea across. Uh -huh. um, and then I added grabbing for the cards as well so I could move them around. And that is also using the pointer events where you can just point the laser pointer at the bottom of the card or the, or the back or the sides, um, basically anywhere except for the GUI content and point the laser pointer at it, pull the trigger, and then it's essentially attached to your controller again until you pull the trigger again. So you can move the card anywhere you want in 3D space. You can even teleport while you're holding it and move it across the scene, things like that. So it was good enough for a demo and to kind of learn from these things. I Most of this project was just hacking a bunch of Babylon JS playgrounds from the community and just kind of Okay, I'll take this from here and this from here and figure out how to get these working together. Um, but that's kind of the, the foundation for a lot of the stuff I want to build in the future of loading data as a 3D object and then being able to position it around in space, organize the data structurally in a way that makes sense to me and then save that organization into the data store. So back to the database. And then when I come back to it later, it just loads in the same state that I left it. But that part's not working yet. I think the main thing that I would change about the card demo is getting rid of the pointer events on the card itself, like get rid of the idea for a button and separate it into like 
pull the trigger to activate the card to load it somewhere else or pull the grip button to perform the, the grab and drag movement. So I need to spend some time kind of figuring out the rest of the, the VR controller stuff. I think from a mouse standpoint, it could just be a matter of like right click to drag the thing around the scene, left click to select it, that kind of thing. Okay. So that demo, I, I think the both of these demos in weeks three and four, they were the projects that I wanted to do were more ambitious than I could do in a single day. And I was fine with that. Like, I'm going to work on this until quitting time and then I'm going to write a blog post about it and I'll, you know, I'll get to the rest some other day. So there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to keep working on with that. The uh, week four, I decided to continue working in the WebXR stuff and working, learning about more of the features that Babylon.js had available in WebXR. So I learned about their teleporting system, which is kind of built in by default. Um, I actually learned about, they've got two different ways of using WebXR with Babylon.js. One of them is like, use this default WebXR helper system that imports all the core features like the pointer events and the teleporting and the hand tracking, you get all this stuff out of the box and it, it works relatively well, but there's not as much customization. So if you need to really fine tune every aspect of the experience, then you can also use this other more basic version of that so that you can opt into those features one by one, or you can do your own version of those features. So I'm using the, the default one with all the free features for now. And I probably, I was initially thinking I, I should make my own version of these, but the more that I work with the laser pointers, I kind of like having laser pointers instead of physically reaching out to grab stuff. I can just mm -hmm. stand in one spot and just use pointers in both hands. It's basically like having really, really long hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, so from that sense, it's like, it's not as clever and cool from a UI standpoint, but it's way easier and faster to manipulate stuff. <laughs> okay, I've, I've got a proposed side project for you okay. for, for some week. And, and it involves reanimate the pointers as stretched out hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not a bad so, idea. So you can, your hands are just like, until, until you, uh, point across something that's closer and then your hand gets all short and stubby and mm -hmm. then you're like yeah, you know those, fantastic those little like jelly hand slappy things yes like, yeah oh I, I need to make those <laughs> so yeah uh week four um working with you know the features that were built into babylon js i decided to do a golf demo on friday so i spent wednesday and thursday doing the basics um, getting a golf club into the scene. Honestly, the hardest part about this entire mini project was attaching the golf club to the controller. <laughs> um, just it? actually get, well, no, like <laughs> I know. not in, I mean, in virtually yeah. there's a 3d model of a club, but it's being loaded asynchronously as the result of a promise. And the controller is being loaded asynchronously as a result of a promise. Now I have two unrelated promises. How do I connect them together? Mm, okay. um, yeah, my my not great solution was global variables. 
and uh, loading the golf club using the assets manager, which runs before the scene loads entirely, sticking the result of that asset manager load into a global variable. And then when I go to resolve the promise for the VR controllers, I reference, I check the global variable. Hey, is there something here for me to attach? And then attach it. And then the actual coordinate system stuff of like, I need to, like, I, I can't tell what the coordinate system is for the controllers. And the first thing I did was like, I'm going to just grab the position and rotation of the controller and apply it to the child object. And I did that and I tested it in the scene. I popped into VR, load the scene, clubs in my hand. And then I did it again, but the controller was facing a different direction, but the club is facing the wrong direction now. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> I was basically applying the position vector of the controller, but not its orientation. So you could, depending on where you were facing when you loaded the scene, the golf club could show up like perpendicular to your hand or sticking through your forehead or sticking in the ground. Like it took me a while to actually get it positioned correctly. VR coordinate uh, errors are yeah. just phenomenally hilarious. Yeah. And then the other tricky part was actually getting the physics system and the colliders on the club. So I've done stuff like this in Unity before. And what I have done in Unity was I'm going to attach a collider, which is basically just a, a small bounding box to the bottom of the golf club. And then I'm going to use collisions or intersections between that and the ball to do physics. And I tried to do that, but essentially I couldn't. Um, I was getting all kinds of console errors that you can't do colliders on child objects like that. And I tried several different things. The really bad workaround that I came up with was there is a feature in the default WebXR helper to toggle on physics for the controllers themselves. So you can bump the controller up against something and move it. And there was a way to adjust the size of the collider on that. So through trial and error, I basically made you know, kind of two by four shaped colliders that stick out from the user's hand by about a meter. <laughs> and it occupies roughly the same space as the golf club. So the golf club is just an illusion. You just have two two by fours coming out of your hand. And those are the colliders that you can interact with. And uh, I've named that design uh, Edward Physics Hands. As, uh, it's actually in my notes. <laughs> my I, I'm a little older than you, so my brain went to Hacksaw Jim Duggan, but mm. yeah, Edward Physics Hands is pretty good. Yeah. So I didn't get much else done with the golf demo. I basically got to the point where the clubs can nudge the balls around. It's not realistic feeling at all. It's not satisfying gameplay like we have in Pro Putt. Um, but it was fun. It was fun to figure out. I think if we ever make that into more of a, a bigger project, I would want to revisit rather than trying to use physics imparted from the club to the ball. I think the better way to do it would actually just be to get the velocity from the club while it's swinging and then apply it to the ball on impact rather than trying to allow the physics system to, to do that for us. Cause you ended up, you can see it in some of the videos on my website, the, the club passes right through the ball. It huh. doesn't move yeah. the ball and hit it, it just, it passes right through it and some of the force is kind of left over on the ball. <laughs> yeah. 
you gestured at the ball and it started moving. Yeah, it got irritated and rolled away. So yeah, that's the last of the projects for the month. Uh, I wrote a blog post this morning detailing kind of some of the stuff that I thought was notable about Babylon JS this month. And I'm not going to read that entire post here. I'll link to it in the show notes if anybody wants to check it out. But the things that, like the big takeaways is that this is now an awesome new tool in my toolkit of things that I can make software with. And I need to spend some time over the next couple of months making other stuff with this. Um, you know, integrating it with FileMaker could be fun, especially I heard last week that FileMaker's going to finally get rid of the IE built-in browser on Windows for the mm -hmm. web viewer. Um, so that makes developing in FileMaker with with really any WebGL stuff a lot more compelling. So I might do some demos there. And a lot of these demos are with the focus of like, you know, I'm not making consumer products. I'm making stuff for other developers, stuff for my customer, things like that. So I want to do some work in, in FileMaker with Babylon.js. I want to do some additional 3D modeling stuff with Babylon.js. I want to do some integration with WordPress or just various other data stores, the common data stores, maybe visualizing data from a number of public APIs, things like that. So I have a, a few stats on the project. Mm -hmm. I've been tracking my time on it the whole month. So education and blogging, I kind of lumped in the same time tracking entry. That was 16 hours, which is actually exactly on budget. I was a little bit high on that the first two weeks, but a little bit low the second two weeks. So an hour a day, four days a week for four weeks. And then development time, which is the Friday projects, that was 26 hours and 30 minutes. So not too bad for um, just getting myself to spend way more time making things than learning things. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I made eight different scenes and playgrounds. I published two of them as demos for day five and day 10, and I wrote 21 blog posts. That's a not insignificant amount of work for that amount of time. Yeah. So all, all in all, I'm really glad I did this. It was, it was a way of kind of pushing myself over the hump of like, I kept running into, I don't know how to do this. Now I'm tired and frustrated. It's the end of the day and I give up. So I kind of, push myself past that and you know through this kind of like this is just a part of my day that every day I'm doing this thing my day's not over until I get this done and it really helped me learn a ton about Babylon.js and more about JavaScript in general um, like I feel much more comfortable with promises now having worked with the assets manager and being able to see 3d representations of a resolved promise like, oh, I can actually see this happening. <laughs> that makes way more sense to me than some console logs. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty good experience. At the same time, while I'm, I'm glad I've done this, I'm really looking forward to not doing it today. Like once the podcast is done today, I'm done for the day. And tomorrow I'm going to work on FM Perception until I can't. And then you know, kind of get back into that routine of just like, I don't have this daily, this additional project layered mm -hmm. on my day, um, which I ultimately I won't need to. I think I'm going to do away with the hour a day thing 
effective immediately. I guess mm-hmm. done. That was a month of March thing. I'm probably going to keep the Friday thing as a side project day to continue making stuff in Babylon JS or some of the other side projects I have. And just, I kind of like the idea of having a day of working on projects that aren't directly related to client work and nobody has complained. Like aside from you, none of my other customers realize that I have not been working on Friday. So yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to keep that going indefinitely. Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to not having the additional kind of not not burden, but like expectation, which was, you know, self-imposed, but the expectation of I'm not done until I post a blog post about this thing. So Dave, I got a new desk. Wait, wait, wait. I thought you already had a desk. Well, what about second desk? I didn't know about second desk. No, well, I got a second desk. (laughs) So one of the things that was nice about this last month is I'm, I have very little going on consulting wise, lots of maintenance work, but no active development projects other than FM perception. And I have two computers and it's really nice to go in my office in the morning, sit down at the Mac and just FM perception all day long, three o'clock hits. I stand up, I come into the other room. There's another computer here with all of the <laughs> WebXR stuff set up. And I just start WebXRing, start babbling. Babyloning JS. Have you, have you, have you call that? <laughs> Commanders in chief. Yeah. So it's really nice to just have two totally separate machines. Like the, you know, FM perception next will be like the VS code project will be open and running the live server and the app will be launched and running for like weeks at a time. And just like every time I return to the computer, it's like monotasking the computers. It's a very expensive way of, of multitasking. I'm just like, this workstation is for this and this one is for that. So I got a new desk. I had been mostly working on the laptop at my kitchen table, the Windows laptop, and then reserving my office for the Mac, mainly because my office isn't big enough for a VR headset to be able to actually use a VR headset without bumping into the walls. So I decided to get a new desk last week and I ordered a, a small like 24 by 40 inch standing desk to put in the corner of my living room. So now I've got a, a more permanent station for the the Windows machine. And more importantly, I could get out the Samsung Odyssey again because I was, I was doing most of the WebXR testing in the Oculus browser, which is like, that's a really good browser, but going back and forth from it was kind of annoying because I've got prescription lenses in it. So I have to take off my glasses, put the headset on, wait for it to, you know, acknowledge the play space, launch the browser, go refresh the page, all that kind of stuff. Whereas with the Windows Mixed Reality headset, it's just sitting here running the whole time. I just put it on when I need to take it back off. And Windows Mixed Reality is the only in VR solution I've seen that actually has a web console because I can just right click on a web page and spec element and it shows up as a separate window in space. Oh, wow, okay. So being able to you know get console logs and stuff while the scene is running, pretty cool. Um, Neat. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a viable use for a second desk. Yeah. I approve, not that you needed my approval. 
Yeah, it's a it's a small little cheapo disc, and it it's I got like a a black one, like a matte black finish, and it's apparently so black that it's like sucking up light from the room, and it's actually made my VR tracking worse. <laughs> you bought a desk shaped black hole. I pretty much did. Yeah, it's eating the light.